Mark Gerson, and I am the rabbi's husband. Yes, that is the name of the show, and it is also my name, or really a description of who I am, as the proud and indeed blessed spouse of Rabbi Erica Gerson. Now, one of the many benefits of being a rabbi's husband is living in an environment full of Torah. And Torah, with love of Torah, absolutely, but specifically as it was intended, as a guidebook. Torah as a guidebook to help us live happier, better, and more meaningful lives in the most practical and actionable ways. And that indeed is the purpose of this show, to discuss with some of the most interesting people hailing from a diversity of backgrounds, their favorite biblical passage with regard to how it inspires, instructs, enlightens, or directs them in the most practical and helpful ways. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Michal Osman, the author of the incredible new book, which is just magnificent and it's new, it's out this week and available everywhere. And it is called, What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid? Discover a life filled with Jewish purpose and joy through the secrets of Jewish wisdom. This is a beautiful meditation, personal, philosophical, and religious that explores how ancient Jewish wisdom can guide anyone to a fulfilling and meaningful life both personally and professionally. Michal, welcome to The Rabbi's Husband. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. It's a real honor and pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started into your uh, chosen passage. And I love your passage. Just uh, It's going to be from Proverbs 22.6 for anybody with their Bibles. But let's hear a little bit about Michal from being born in Tel Aviv and specifically on your uh, religious journey, your improbable religious journey to take you to where you are today. Well, I don't know how to condense 45 years and just a couple of minutes, but I'll do my best. Raised in Tel Aviv, uh, went to the military, was an officer, achieved a lot of things on the outside, seemed like I was kind of figuring out life. Uh, but for different reasons, what I was suffering for my whole life was anxiety and really found it uh, hard to live, I guess, um, but wow. stayed highly, highly functional for many, many years, uh, went to therapy and did other things, trying to heal myself. But it was only really when I discovered the Jewish wisdom at the age of 38 that I started to find out that there was another way to heal myself. And I actually discovered that I have a soul, which is something I had no awareness of. Beautiful. Now, at 38, of course, you were a full adult uh, married with children. Correct. I was married with three children, an executive kind of, you know, leader in big organizations for Facebook, for example. And yeah, on, on the surface, I was figuring out life. But inside, I wasn't at all. Was it one moment when you said, oh, my God, this is it. This is what I've been looking for all my life. Or was it more of a process? It wasn't a one moment. And I think many things in life don't happen in a, in a second, apart from that second when I fell in love with my husband when I was a waitress and he was a client. We got to hear that story. <laughs> I knew you would. Well, I was I was a waitress in Tel Aviv in this handsome, gorgeous... What restaurant in Tel Aviv, for those of us who live in Israel or love Israel as I do? Where in Tel Aviv? Just place me there. Yeah, no, middle center of Tel Aviv. And yeah, I was, you know, like many other people, a student and, you know, waitress. And this gorgeous man came in. I knew he was trouble. Maybe I shouldn't say this. Uh, but anyway... Good, good trouble. <laughs> Good trouble. Turned out to be the best trouble. But apart from like that one moment. Wait, wait, we're still in that moment. What happened? Can I call him? <laughs> wait, you got his number? No, he's just like another room. But, oh. you know, I'm kidding. You know, Mark, like some, you know, it wasn't a mind sound, Sinai moment. You know, I wish 
I, you know, I wish it was. I, I'm happy that it was exactly the way it is. I was in a very low place inside of me. I did things that showed that I was lost. Like I injected things to my face thinking that if I do anti-aging, I'm going to feel better about myself. I, you know, I, 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 it was very obvious to me that I was lost inside, but I was really trying to find a way. And I, and I couldn't through all those mechanisms that you mm. described. Um, I think what happened to me when I went to therapy, I revisited childhood memories, which I was very aware of. And I, I was very much stuck in the past with quite a blaming um, lens towards my parents or my, you know, upbringing. And I felt I was like hitting the same wall, you know, over and over again. But there was one Saturday, one Shabbat. Back then, I didn't call it Shabbat. Mm. Um, yeah, I call it Saturday. And it was like a normal day for me because I wasn't, you know, it, it just looked another day of the week. But I was in a very low place and I actually went to Google. So social media and tech sometimes really, you know, makes things really much better. And I Googled anxiety, depression, joy. And for some reason, I Googled, I added the word uh, Judaism. And at that stage, I didn't have an identity of, around Judaism. I was very much, you know, other things. I didn't think about myself too much in the lens of, of Jewish. Then came a, came a result through this Google search of a, of a professor in psychology that actually does research around mental health and, oh. and faith. So, and it's a very long story, but she suggested that I go to Shi'ur. So you, you see this woman profiled through a very interesting Google search. And then you said, well, maybe she, maybe she has the answer I, I've been looking for. Yes. Is she in Israel? Is she in the US? Where is she? So, you know, it happens to me that she was 10 minutes away from me. Oh. I email her and I was like, I know this sounds strange. This is my name. I researched you. I'm suffering. He was like, let's meet for coffee. Incredible. When I met her, I said, I just came back from a Beyonce concert. And I she said, I don't know who Beyonce is. She's a Haredi wow. woman. And she said, I don't understand what you're talking about. It feels like we are living in very different worlds. But how old is she? I'm just trying to place this. You're 38. How old is she? Uh, older, wiser, and Baruch Hashem blessed with, you know, with, with many children. And and she she looked at me and she could see that I'm suffering, but she didn't have, she we were, our worlds were too far in a way. But I think she saw like that my soul, my soul was starving for something. And, and, mm. and then she suggested a shear and that, that's a class, a yeah. class in, in Hasidut in Hasidism. And I was like, what does that have to do with me? I'm, I'm not going, but you know, sometimes when you're in life, like in a really low place and you say, I'll take anything, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever you say. So I said, what's the risk of going to a class? And you went to the class. What was the class about? So the class was about Hasidism. It was about Hasidut, who was the teacher, the rabbi, started reading from the ancient text. I heard a few very meaningful, very deep words in Hebrew. And, you know, I'm Israeli, so Hebrew goes, you know, that's my mother tongue. But those were words that I never, never heard as I was growing up. For example, neshama, which is soul, and nitzot, which is, the, you know, the, the spark, the sparkle. And just the way that he read it out from the text I felt like it was, you know, the Torah was written for me that day. And it is. Wow. Feldy was reading it for me. And I, I was, I literally cried for like, you know, almost two days. I couldn't stop. Something opened up. What did your husband say? So you're a secular woman. You're married. He knows you're suffering from anxiety and are searching for something. You go to this uh, Hasidic shir, Hasidic class. They mention words like soul and spirit, words that 
I don't you never meant anything to you before. And now and now it means so much to you that you're crying for two days. Yeah. So I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that something happened. So obviously, because my husband loves me, he was like, great, go to that class, go to that shiur, right? He doesn't know that this will mean that a lot of things in the family are about to change. But, you know, initially it was just scratching the surface. But, but what happened eventually is that I I fell in love with, with the script, with the narratives, with the stories, with the words, with the essence, with the energy. And when I fall in love with something, I give everything I have. So I started educating myself and reading a lot and, you know, learning, learning every day in the evening after the last child went to sleep. I took, a, you know, I, 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 I learned and, uh, you know, listening to podcasts like yours. But back then there wasn't many podcasts, but just listening to programs. And, and slowly, slowly, I, I realized that I discovered something here. And that's when when I started introducing this to my husband. And um, it was an interesting journey for both of us. So to make a seven year story condensed. So now your your family is, or, is Orthodox or traditional. How, how do you define it? So, yeah, it's so hard to define. I mean, w- one of the beautiful things that I find in kind of living in where I live at the moment, which is in, in London, the UK, that uh, it's free of definitions. You can be so many things. So, you know, I wear jeans and this is my real hair and I keep Shabbat and I keep Kashrut and I keep other, you know, ele- es- I guess basic elements of a, of a Jewish home. And uh, I say in the morning, and, and then I jump on a call with TikTok executive team and I'm part of the leadership of TikTok Europe. I, I combine the worlds. Well, be, well, beautiful. And in, in that sense, you're, you're living like the greatest rabbis of ancient times where every 100% of rabbis in ancient times, all the great ones whose names we recognize, they all had jobs, conventional jobs. They all had professions, whether it was Rashi as a wine merchant or Maimonides as a doctor, Nachmanides as a doctor or... Akiva is a shoemaker. They all had conventional jobs thinking that on the on the not the thought, the truth that they would bring their Torah to their jobs and their jobs to their Torah. And it would be an endless virtuous cycle of learning by both book learning and and practical learning that would amplify each other. And that's what you're doing. I I aim to do that. And because I feel, thank God, comfortable in my skin now, I don't just bring it to the job just within myself. I communicate myself and and, and what I believe in in my job. So one of the things I write about in the book is my nervousness. When I started working for Facebook, I knew what's going to happen in the winter when I have to light Shabbat candles. And, you know, it's so early on on Friday. What what am I going to do? This is a hardworking environment. And on the first day of the job, when my manager at Facebook asked me, what do you care about? Which was a shocking question because it was such a caring, meaningful, deep question. The first thing that I answered was, I care about being a Jewish. And I really freaked out after. I thought, oh my God, he's going to think that I'm this person that I said, I, I care about being Jewish and, and, and a mother and Israeli. Like all those things that one can think about. Why t- don't share this in a workplace? But it was beautiful to share it because every single Friday afternoon, he sent me a message, Shabbat Shalom, and re- reminded me to log off. So he was reminding me to beautiful. keep my holy day. Was he Jewish? Not at all. It's beautiful. That reminds me in so many cases in the Bible, Melchizedek and Abraham, Jethro and Moses, Caleb and Joshua, where the Gentile helps the Jew to become a better Jew. Oh, that's just beautiful. He actually knew almost nothing about Yad, about Judaism, about Yahadut, and he asked me to tell him, to, to, to educate him. And he used to send me like really nice uh, messages, just, you know, as someone that doesn't know about like Yom Kippur. So he said, happy fast or like really sweet. I could see that he cares. He was trying. Absolutely beautiful. And it, it gave me a lot of a encouragement, as you say, but also made me feel very, very confident in my identity. Wow. Well, what a what a mention, maybe even what an angel, you know, in the Jewish notion of an angel, an angel is someone who delivers you a message when you needed a regular person. And, and that's what he seemingly played that role in your life. 
Beautiful. He did. And many others. Wow. What a fascinating person you are. But let's go right to your passage, which is Proverbs 22.6. Please tell us what is Proverbs 22.6. Tell us how it, why does it mean so much to you? Of course. So I'm, I'm going, I'm going to open it from the book as I can, you can hear me kind of, uh, you know, moving the pages here and, and you know, this is in English, but. Well, well great. Yeah, well, why don't you say it in Hebrew and then say it in English? Okay. So in Hebrew, like the short version is and in, in English is teach a child according to his way. Even when he grows old, he will not turn away from it. And this was a huge almost like shock for me as a parent. So obviously I read this already being a mother of three children. Part of my education, I studied uh, psychoanalytical thinking um, and I was educated on Melanie Klein and 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 Sigmund Freud, et cetera, et cetera, and, be, and, and different theories. And I always thought that a child was born a kind of black canvas, like, you know, tabula rasa, right? Like Right, well, there, there's that book by Stephen Pinker, The, the Blank Slate, which has, and, and, he was, and he was against that notion. He was saying a lot of people think that children are blank slates and he spends 600 pages proving why it's not true. Okay, so I, I was still, uh, when I parented for the first, second and third time, my assumption was that my children were blank slate. And if they turn out to be great, it's because it happened, I happened to do a good enough job. But if they kind of, you know, turn out not being great, which is a big fear of parents, it's my fault. So, you know, this thinking, this thought about like getting a blank canvas kind of child and damaging them really caused even more anxiety. Like, what if I get it wrong? Da, da, da. You know, every time I thought that um, I had to tell also my child who they are, what what they have the potential to be. And, and you know, maybe that's was also how I was brought up. Um, and it also, you know, in, in many ways, it didn't give them space to be who they were, I assume, but also put a huge pressure on myself to to be a very, I guess, effective parent uh, by telling them who who they probably should be. And when I saw, uh, you know, King Solomon's ancient wisdom, probably the first piece of parenting from the wisest person. I, I agree. This is the best piece of parenting advice ever. It, it, so it's so condensed and so specific. But what it tells you or what it told me as a parent that Michal when your babies are born, their soul has arrived, has arrived with, with a story. With, and that my job as a parent is really help them, you know, navigate, take a little bit of a pivot, you know, right or left, pause. But overall, it is their journey and I'm there to support rather than like, follow me, I'll tell you where to go. And it completely changed my perspective on parenting. It doesn't mean that I'm a hands-off parent and like my kids just go walk around, run around, do whatever they want. I'm also a huge believer in boundaries and clear kind of, you know, expectations. But within those safe boundaries of the family, I really believe that I need to try to figure out, you know, what story did my child arrive to this world with? And that's such a beautiful way to put it, because the, the passage says train a child or teach a child according to his way and not the way, but his way, not implying instructing us that each child has his or her own specific way. But we still have to teach that child. It doesn't say just let him go according to his way. It says teach the child according to his way. And I, I talk about this in my book on the on the how the meaning of life is revealed in the Haggadah in the sense that why are the four questions so mediocre? Like what child ever leapt from her chair and said, oh my God, we're dipping twice. Tell me the story of the Exodus. No child, because all generic questions are mediocre. I believe the instruction to us is we have to think of the questions that will ignite the interest of each of our children in accordance with this passage. Because it says right here, we have to teach a child according to his or her way, not some generic way. There aren't four generic questions. There are as many questions as there are children. We have to find the question that's going to ignite the spark in that child. And there is one. 
And it's not hard to find because if you know the child, you know the spark. How could charge be hard to figure out? God made us parents. He would have made us parents and then said, I'm going to make this really hard for all you. <laughs> Absolutely. And just, you know, I have the privilege of seeing you now and seeing the sparkle in your, in your eye, right? It's like looking in your child's eye and, and trying to figure out who's Who's the soul that is in my, you know, in, under my wings now? But it has, has a, a, you know, it's going to fly to where, you know, it, it already knows it, it needs to go. So it's, it, I think it's very special. And and uh, I also love, you know, the concept in, in Yadut that every parent should spend 30 minutes a day thinking about how they educate their children. Not which school they get to or Ivy League. That's right. How do you lechanech, right? From the word chinuch in Hebrew. How do you help them grow? I don't know what the word in English is, lechanech. It's, it's much more, it's much deeper than education. It's like, you know, how do you make them who they were supposed, who they're supposed to be? How would you translate the word? If you had to, you said it's imperfect to do so, but how would you translate it imperfectly? So chinuch, right, is chanoch. And, and oh my gosh, I'm so not an expert in language but it's like to to ignite oh interesting to, you know and and it's but it has it, you can it has different translations but it's definitely not education it's not about passing knowledge you know it's it's about it's about finding that thing in your child and you know when when you when you start a new place you said right Chanukatabait, you ignite you when you when you move into a new house you do Chanukatabait, which means like the house is starting it's igniting oh beautiful i never heard that does, that, does this have anything to do with hanukkah or is it a totally different word? So I believe it is because Chanukah is also from the from the same term of like, as I said, Chanukah the igniting of the house. So yes, it is about, and of course it connects to light. So how beautiful is that? Igniting a child, finding that sparkle in their eye is all about light. It's about creation. It's about starting, you know, starting new, a lot of positivity and, and about a home. So all of those things connect together. You just gave me uh, something that I have to include in the next edition of my book, The Telling, because I have a chapter on why are Moses, Joseph, and the women of the Exodus not in the Haggadah, right? If you were to assign a child, tell me the story of the Exodus, and they turned in the paper and didn't have any of those people, you would either give them an, an F or incomplete or say, the child's operating by an entirely different logic, A+, plus, right? And obviously the Haggadah is an A+, plus, and I think it's to teach us that the Haggadah may be the greatest guidebook ever written, but all it is is a guidebook, and we have to teach our children. So we have to include Moses, Joseph, and the women of the Exodus when we tell the story, instructing us that the Haggadah is a tool, school is a tool, education is ours, and it's a comprehensive responsibility. And what you're saying is that we have to meditate on that. What, what exactly are you quoting when you say that we have to uh, consider for 30 minutes a day? Yes, there's a saying in Hasidut, and I need to find who says it. Um, it actually says that a parent is obliged uh, to to think about how they how they help their child grow uh, 30 minutes, I believe, a day. Uh, and I can find the exact quote because it also mentions about, you know, uh, putting tefillin on. Um, wh where I'm coming from is that I think we are very busy parents and often we and, and you know, all of not all of us, but, who, you know, many people that are parents, they're trying to do so many things and. Sometimes we assume that our children will get what they need just because we want them to get. Um, for example, identity. Uh, and what I realized is that it's everything is complicated, you know, in life, and I guess in parenthood as, as well. But I can't rely on anything outside of my home to give the, my children identity. So for me, lechanech to educate, to guide means like also helping my children have clarity on who they are. And I think yeah, Judaism sees this as an essential part of a parent to spend time not just doing it, thinking about it. 
considering it, planning it. I don't believe in winging parenthood. That's right. Well, I mean, Rod Soloveitchik said that uh, everything holy involves preparation. And what could be more holy than being a parent? I mean, if we prepare to go to a dinner on a random Saturday night, we should prepare to be a parent. And what you're saying is we have this Hasidic discipline to prepare for at least a half hour every day. How am I going to be a better parent today? Because it's probably the most important thing I'm going to do today. Therefore, it's something that's well worthy of my preparation. And it's not something I can outsource to school or to a teacher or anything else. Those are just tools that I can use to help fulfill my sacred duty to educate my child. Yes. And I believe that in the original kind of Hasidic guidance, it was more than half an hour, but I'm bringing this to the busy life that we live. So that's like half an hour, I think, is I put myself under the kind of, you know, expectation of spending half an hour. One thing we do in The Rabbi's Husband, and I think people should do everywhere, is just to try to figure out how can I make the Torah what it's intended to be, which is the most practical and immediately actionable book ever written. So, of course, a half hour is not in the Torah. That's a, that's a Hasidic interpretation. Or If one only thought for 10 minutes each day, how am I going to better educate my child? And just imagine how the education of our children would be transformed. Yeah, well, it's all it's on all of us. And, you know, parents give so much it's it's not easy to parent these days, uh, of course. Um, but yes, I mean that's that's what my husband and I try to do, and it also helps us, I think, being be better with each other because we very easily can figure out our different perspectives when there are. We can agree things between us, and then with in front of the children, we have a very clear narrative in front of them. We're more. I guess united in front of them as well. They they know that we're speak. How do you say singing from the same heimshit? I don't know how to say that. Uh, so Michal, that really reminds me of Exodus twenty one fifteen, which is an off an oft misinterpreted verse. It says anyone who attacks their father or mother is put to death. Now, no one ever got the death penalty for attacking their mother and the father. And the reason the rabbis gave is because this could only be applied if the mother and the father are speaking in one voice. And when the mother and the father are speaking in one voice, no child would act this way. Therefore, the lesson is to the mother and the father that you must speak in one voice. And one sure way to, re to really screw up your child is to have the mother and the father speaking in different voices. And so what you're saying is this discipline of educating your children when you go over with your husband, it, it brings you to speak in one voice, it puts you on the same page to deliver a unified message to your husband. And that could be one of the functions of this 10 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever one can devote to educating their children every day. Yes. And listen, it's disciplined, Mark, right? It's, a, it's not like, oh my gosh, we just had this free hour. It's a routine that it takes. It's like a muscle to build. Mark, you're so knowledgeable in, in you know, in ancient text and Torah. I'm not. So what, what, what I did is like, I realized I have dilemmas or challenges or issues with my life or with myself. I looked to the Torah, I found wisdom, I took it in, but I don't, I'm not an expert on script. And nobody is. I don't think anybody in the world is an expert. And the, the, the proof that nobody in the world is every time I, and people far more learned than me, study the, the Torah every single time you learn something new, because it is the endlessly generative text, just always giving, all we have to do is read it and open ourselves to it. Absolutely. And that's exactly what you've done. The, your relationship with the Torah is just so inspiring and so true in the sense that you opened yourself up to the Torah to help fill the voids in your life. And the Torah said, I'm here for you. Oh, when you say it like that, I feel like crying. But yes, yes. And, and for me and for my husband and for my children. And it also taught us gratitude. 
I mean, I did not know that we were supposed to live in joy because I saw so many difficult things in my early years. I mm -hmm. actually didn't realize that living is about being joy, you know, joyous. It's a commandment. I, I, yeah. It's so, how amazing is that? And Shabbat, how amazing it is not to worry. I say to my husband, stop thinking about your deals. You're not allowed to worry on Shabbat. That's right. So we have another drink and we don't worry. Awesome. I mean, yes. I mean, what, what a gift of Shabbat. That's such a great example in so many ways. I mean, who wouldn't want to do Shabbat? I mean, if you could say design the perfect time of the week, the smartest person in the world would, if they could would get like half a Shabbat, then we got the whole thing. I mean, it's just the, it's just the, the perfect day of the week, the perfect way to celebrate a week, the perfect way to break up time. Everything about it is so perfect. So everyone should do it. Maybe not do it the exact same way, but everyone should acknowledge Shabbat. Everyone should honor Shabbat. Everyone should separate Shabbat from the other days of the week, however they choose to do that. I, I agree with you, Mark. And I also want to be honest for, for someone like me and my husband that we we grew up in families that we didn't do Kiddush and we didn't keep Shabbat. And we introduced this to our children when they already had their own opinions. Anyone knows that when a child hold, holding an iPad on their day off school, asking them to separate from the iPad is serious separation anxiety. Right. That's why I also love Chassidut, which is like, or at least the way that I was kind of introducing Chassidut to my life. It's like the longer, shorter way. We don't need to speed this take it step by step. So initially we kept two hours of Shabbat, you know, just the Kiddush. And then Saturday in the morning, we right. did football and, and and I still went to the hairdresser. And then slowly, slowly, you know, let's try to keep it until lunchtime on Shabbat. And the kids slowly weaned themselves off iPads and iPhones, etc. But then I think after, for us, I think it was a journey of about nine, 10 months. At some point, and I don't want to kind of make, like you know, make, everything sounds like, you know, beautiful and easy. But at some point, I actually realized that they don't miss their iPad so much wow. anymore. Um, but it, it took a bit of time and it took a bit of time for my husband and I. I mean, I love running and he likes taking a minute. And it was we had to align. Beautiful. Well, Michal, I mean, you just exemplify what it means to live an examined Jewish life and to allow the Torah to guide you. And it's just been such an honor and a pleasure to learn from you. And so much of this is in the book, which I so encourage everyone to read. Now, the uh, uh, concluding question of the rabbi's husband always goes from one text, the sacred text of the Bible, to um, another text, which is Andre Malroux's uh, 1968 book, Anti-Memoir. And in the book, he tells the story of, he said, I just ran into a man with whom I served in the war. He said, this man had saved a lot of Jews and then had become a parish priest. So I said to the priest, in all of your years of hearing confessions, what are two things you've learned about mankind? And the priest said, one, everyone is much less happy than he seems. And two, there's no such thing as a grown up person. So, uh, Michal, in this latest stage of your Jewish journey, which, of course, is not concluded. So that's why, you know, this, that's why I said the latest stage in this part of the process of your Jewish journey. Since you've come to your own Hasidic interpretation of Judaism, uh, what are two things that you've learned about humankind? Whoa. No, so what did I learn about humankind? What I learned is that it's much easier to build bridges between us than what we would assume. And I am enjoying building bridges within my own community, within different communities. And I, I want to see my journey continuing to build bridges. And then the other thing that I learned is how powerful it is to choose a new but the right path. You know, when I was 38, I thought, but I'm already on this path. How can I even consider hmm. making major shifts in my life? Because I'm a grown up. But then I, but then I realized 
that because I discovered myself and my soul at the age of 38, I'm actually just one. And um, I'm one year old and I can just, you know, start a completely fresh journey. So I also learned that it's um, this con conviction that if we're on a journey, we can't pivot and course correct is is wrong. Beautiful. It reminds me of where I think it was Eli Wiesel who said that the secret of the Torah is not that we can begin, the, but that we can begin again. Mm, love it. Well, that's like well, that's what you've done and, and you've lived it. And, and through your really remarkable book, what would you do if you weren't afraid? You share your story, your journey, your hope and indeed your inspiration with everyone who has the common sense and it all takes is common sense. Just go to Amazon, go to wherever and buy the book. It's a great book. It's completely engrossing. It's totally instructive. It's very interesting. It's so introspective and uh, it's just a great book for everyone who's broadly interested in these subjects, which of course, everyone listening to this podcast would be. Michal, thank you for such a fascinating conversation and for writing such a terrific book. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me, for giving me, you know, encouragement and for your, the sparkle in your eye that I, could, I was looking at the whole hour that we spoke. Thank you, Mark. Oh, well, thank you. Wonderful. Shalom, Litrod. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Wow, what a fantastic conversation with Michal Oshman. I think we all just saw what it means to live a thoughtful and examined life, what it can do for somebody when you just open yourself up for the Torah and allow the Torah to do its intended purpose, which is to be your guide. And uh, I'm just so grateful for Michal's uh, appearance on The Rabbi's Husband, for this wonderful book that she wrote, and for the Kiddush Hashem that she is. Next year in Graceland. I'm Mark Erson, and this has been The Rabbi's Husband, and thank you for listening. Please go to Apple, to Spotify, to wherever you receive podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe. I can be found at therabbishusband.com or at The Rabbi's Husband on Facebook or Instagram, and I would love to hear from you, so please email me at mark at therabbishusband.com. This podcast is part of the Joshua Network. You can find out more about The Joshua Network at thejoshuanetwork.com. Thank you for listening.